may the Lord not only just blow the doors off of this church, but blow it off so that you just doesn't stop. That the power of God just begins to move in this county and there's just no limit to what he would do. I do believe, by the way, that in fact, last night we, uh, I'm just going to be very honest with you. Last night, I believe uh, we hit a ceiling. There was so much that the Lord wants to do. And, and yet, there was something that was, that was prohibiting us from receiving more. Thanks be to God for those of you who were healed. Thanks be to God for the work that he did. And, and thank you, Jesus, because that, uh, that helps people who don't believe when they, when they hear your testimony and they go, oh my golly, it really did happen. And so uh, let me encourage you in that to give testimony for the Lord's healing because people will be surprised because there are skeptics. There are people who just don't believe. And even those of us who do believe, remember the scripture of the man who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so it isn't that all of a sudden you become sort of instantly mature. And you're like, oh, I'm completely full of faith. That, that isn't the biblical story, by the way. As a matter of fact, if you're reading the scriptures carefully, Abraham becomes the father of faith. He doesn't start that way. And just a few examples of Abraham's lack of faith. And let me encourage you in this. I'm not trying to say have lack of faith, but I'm just trying to say, listen, even the great heroes of the faith, they don't always shine. I'll give you an example. So Abraham... Uh, is visited by God, which is quite cool because there's three of them. And so we get the, the presentation of the Trinity before uh, it's actually fully blown out when we get to Jesus. But we get three people, and, and the name of these three people is God. Interesting. And so God says, um, so uh, shall we tell what uh, we're going to do? And anyway, uh, they have this conversation, and God says... Uh, to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah. Look, I'm not going to destroy the place even if I can find 10 righteous people. Never underestimate what just one person's faith can do. Let me say that again. Never underestimate. If you have faith you can say to this mountain, be thou removed, and it will be. Now, you may say, but Dr. Davis, you're an educated man. You don't actually believe all this stuff, do you? I have more education than probably most people you'll walk into. By the way, I don't really understand, and it's okay, don't worry about it, uh, people repenting of looking to me. I'm sort of like, yeah, well, <laughs> there's nothing here. <laughs> Everything that you see, the Lord has done, so... Yeah, I, I really should have brought that brother of mine who said I knew him when he was dumb. Because <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I should bring my wife. She says the same. So I was speaking at a science conference on faith and religion. And after she gets then she's so sweet. My wife is, she's almost the antithesis of me. She's sweet. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> she said, she goes, you know, uh, I didn't understand half the words you were using. And I go, yeah, well, I mean, it's just because I study this stuff and the Lord has helped me. And she said, yeah, but, you know, sometimes I wonder if, if you know, I'm, I'm intellectually stimulating enough. 
And I said, remember what you told me when we were first dating. The only reason you were dating me is because I loved God and I was cute. <laughs> You're looking at me now going, really? <laughs> I understand. <laughs> anyway, anyway, she says, it is amazing to me that the Lord is using you in this way because I never saw it. Well, of course. It's not based upon human beings. It's based upon God. And so when you look to your physical bodies and you see that, in fact, that they're not working the way that you're supposed to, of course you're going to be skeptical if you look to physicality in this world. That's why they call it the supernatural. You see, because it's not natural. And if you ask me, is it natural? Of course not. That's why it's called the supernatural. But the reality is, God wants to do the supernatural in this place, and He wants to blow the doors out, and He wants to spread it to this whole community, and He doesn't want to stop there. He wants to keep going. Now, Abraham seems like he's really going to be the father of faith. But if you read very closely, God says to him, you're going to have a son. How does this all start, by the way? It starts with Abraham getting smart with God in Genesis 15. And you're like, well, here's the faith. Don't, don't ever have a problem. Seriously? Seriously? This is why it's good to repent. Because it's like you're being real. You're being honest. This is no facade. We're not... The reason you have a Savior is because you need redemption. The reason that the Bible says, let your minds be renewed, is because you have a flawed filter. And that, in fact, it needs also to be redeemed. And so Abraham, it seems like, wow, he's, he's off to the race. He's, oh, he's the father of faith. So God comes along in Genesis 15, and he says, I am your reward. And I want you to hear what Abraham says. He says, that's great. And Eleazar will inherit everything. Now, you might read that and not think much of it, but let me, let me explain to you what's going on here. In that culture, if you don't have a child, you're less than a man. And if you don't have a male son, you're just not a man. And so to not have a son is, in fact, a curse from God. And Abraham is thinking this. Now, by the way, I don't believe that it's a curse from God. I believe it's a curse from our flesh. And that, in fact, the Lord wants to heal us. And there was a lady that came to my church, and, and I want to have to tell you, I want to tell you of my lack of faith so that you can hear that God can use even people who don't have a, a lot of faith. He, all he needs is a little bit. As pastor of a Pentecostal church, and we hadn't seen one miracle occur or one healing occur in the first six to seven months that I was there. So you almost want to roll up your banner. We're not Pentecostal, really. Nothing really happens here. And I would go to church, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'd be discouraged. I didn't want to tell people I was discouraged because I was a pastor. I mean, who wants to go here? It's, you know, discouragement. Hey, hope in the Lord. Maybe it'll work. You know, and so I'm trying to build my faith up, and this voice is speaking to me, and it's saying these words, you idiot, you. Look at you. 
you went to school for, at this point, seven years. And you can't even feed your family. By the way, the very first year that we started the church, I, I didn't take a salary. There wasn't enough to pay me a salary. Now, I do want to tell you that after 19 years, I was making $450,000. No, I'm joking with you. <laughs> Some of you felt the call to ministry. <laughs> oh, yes. 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 I knew the Lord wanted me to go into ministry. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I was walking, the first part was true, I wasn't making anything at all. There was nothing, there was no salary. So I was walking to church, and this voice would say to me, you idiot, you. Look at you. All this faith. I understand what cynicism and doubt is. You think that heroes of the faith don't have cynicism and doubt. Not that I'm one, but I'm talking about Abraham. But in my case, I'm called, I don't, I'm not full of faith. And I'm walking to church, and I'm hearing this, and every time I go to church or Bible study, which was my first cue, I didn't hear it except when I was going to church and Bible study. And finally, after hearing it for a couple of months and trying to fight it away and, and still deal with the reality, well, it really is true. I can't feed my family. <laughs> I was like, how do I rebuke that? It's true. And then I remember thinking to myself, even if I totally missed the Lord, it was just me. I just thought it was the Lord to start a church. And, you know, I just wanted to hear that, and I just missed it. Even if I'm wrong in technical accuracy, the only thing that God wants is for me to be pure in my heart. And so if, in fact, I want to serve him, if, in fact, I want to give my life for him, if I want to give my whole life as one great act of saying thank you to what he has done, and he never does one thing for me, I will still be thankful because he set me free. He saved me. And he liberated me. And the joy that he placed in my heart will be greater than anything ever to come upon me. So do not base your happiness about what will occur, but rather live your whole life in gratitude for being thankful for what he's already done, unless he really hasn't done it. You see, because what would a person feel like if they've actually been set free from bondage? And what would they feel like if, in fact, they were in captivity? What would they feel like if you had been kidnapped and you, you've been tied to something for 10 years and all of a sudden someone came along and set you free? Wouldn't you feel thankful? And the deeper the bondage the more you realize the liberation. And I, I think I had a leg up on people. I think that, in fact, I, I had a, better, a, 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 a great blessing because there wasn't any question in my mind. I was thoroughly wicked. I wanted to do evil. And so there wasn't like, gosh, you know, I'm a relatively good person. By the way, logically, if you're a relatively good person, you're relatively evil also. Just throw that in there. So I knew he'd set me free. Abraham, here's God say to him, I am your reward and I am your shield. And he says, 
Yes. And all of your blessings will go to Eleazar, my servant. God says, I'm sorry, what, what was that you said? Come with me, son. Come over here. I want you to look up at the stars in the sky. Your descendants will be as many as the stars in that sky. Now look at the ground. Your descendants will be as many as the sands on the shore. Go ahead and start counting them. Now God gives a promise to Abraham, but he revisits Abraham when he's with his beautiful wife. And so what occurs is God says, uh, when I come back next year, you're going to have a child. Now again, watch this, lack of faith. So uh, Abraham's wife laughs. <laughs> yeah, right. And God says, I'm sorry, did, did, you, did you laugh? And she goes, no, no, I didn't laugh. <laughs> Nothing like being a little liar and not having faith at the same time. <laughs> you know, at least come clean, you know. I, I didn't, I didn't laugh. Now I want you to see God's sense of humor. You know what we're going to do? I got a name for your child. We'll call him Isaac, which means laughter. See what happened there? <laughs> see what happened? So that you will be remembered of my faithfulness every time you look at him. And that my promise is not based upon your lack of faithfulness, but upon my faithfulness. And so I will be the one who does this. And so he calls Abraham to walk through a covenant with him in Genesis 15. And what occurs is in a covenant, both people accept the conditions of the covenant. But what occurs is that God says, I'll walk through it. And I will be the one that if, in fact, either one of us break the covenant, the curse of the covenant will come upon me. And cursed is he who dies upon a tree. And God fulfills his covenant in Christ, realizing that the descendants of Abraham will be because of his covenant. Abraham goes off to Egypt, too. And you might remember the scene. Abimelech, who is Pharaoh of Egypt, sees uh, his beautiful wife and says, hmm, she'd be nice addition to my harem. And uh, so uh, he says, who is that? And Abraham goes, well, that's uh, my sister. Now, by the way, he's not telling a lie. That is true. He just left out sort of an important part. <laughs> Namely, that she's his wife. Now, I'm just going to say, ladies, how would you feel if you were in that situation? And your husband gave you up because he was fearful he'd be killed. And uh, didn't uh, volunteer the information, oh, uh, that's my wife. How would you feel if your husband allowed you to be ravished by someone else and never stood up for you? What a great man of faith. Wow. He's awesome. No, he's not. He's a sinner. And the truth of the matter is he becomes a father of faith. Do you hear the distinction I'm making? He's not genetically. Coming out of the womb, full of faith. That's not how this happens. He becomes the father of faith. Now, how does he become it? You remember what he said to God in Genesis 15? And I actually preached a sermon thus. I won't preach the whole thing. I can only do three sermons today. 
called The Journey to Moriah. And Moriah is where he's going to sacrifice Isaac. And so remember, he says to God in Genesis 15, I don't have a son, do I? Now, more lack of faith on Abraham. You remember he gets this promise. Sarah laughs. <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen. And anyway, it doesn't happen right away. Another part of the story that you don't really hear a whole lot of. And so Sarah says, you know, uh, it, it's not really happening. So I tell you what, why don't, uh, why don't you have sex with Hagar? And Abraham says, no, I would never dream of such a thing. <laughs> That's not actually how the story goes, is it? Yeah, you don't hear Abraham saying anything like, as I remember, God promised it was going to happen through you, Sarah. And as a matter of fact, he spoke to you that you would have the child, the child of the promise. Abraham doesn't say any of that. He goes, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a great father of faith here, right? Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, if, you know, if that's what you think's best, I'll have sex with someone else. Well, and then we get Ishmael as a result. By the way, God doesn't blame Ishmael for this. He, he actually provides for him. Okay? But Abraham's not really firing all cylinders here. But when we get to Beersheba, he hears a voice saying to him this, take your son whom you love and sacrifice him on the mountain that I will show you. Now, first a little exegesis and understanding the culture, which you may or may not know, is that for, wow, <laughs> Abraham, this would not have seemed to be strange. Why? Because it was a Canaanite custom for kings to sacrifice their firstborn male and put them under a, the city gates. And the reason they did this is because, in fact, they were saying to the city, I love you more than even my own son. Okay? Now, this is a Canaanite custom. And so... Abraham is in Cana, and so he hears a voice saying, sacrifice your child on the mountain that I will show you. And so for Abraham, it would not have been strange. It would have been hard. Yes. Okay? Let's, let's separate the two. would have been hard. Absolutely. And one of the things that I think people forget when they're reading the story is that Abraham doesn't get to Moriah instantly. We read it within five minutes, and we're there. But it took three days walking step by step, believing somehow that God would be faithful to his promise even though he didn't understand how. How do we know this? Because as he's about to leave with the boy, he turns to Eleazar, the one to whom Abraham originally said to God, he's going to get everything. And he says these words, the boy and I shall return. And so he becomes the father of faith because he doesn't understand how God's going to do it, but since God has said it, it's going to happen. Can you imagine walking every step for three days, wondering how this could occur? How could he be faithful to his promise? And yet Abraham walked. And so Abraham raises the knife on Moriah. 
By the way, where is Moriah? Jerusalem. And it says he looked up in the distance and saw the place, meaning that in fact that the place would have to be visible from afar and from where he's walking, the mountain would be called Mount Zion or Jerusalem. And so he walks and is ready to sacrifice. But in fact, God says, no. I'm not going to ask you for your son. I will provide. And there is the prophecy. Now, I want you to put it all together right here. God would not ask us to start a city with our own child, but he will sacrifice his. And the city gates of this kingdom will be about his sacrifice. And so God will fulfill the covenant in Genesis 15 and all of the covenant punishment he takes upon himself for even Abraham's and ours, faults and for foibles and sins. And so God has said to us, it's not your child that will be the foundation of the city, but mine. And this kingdom will never end. So today I want to talk to you about receiving the kingdom, believing in the promises, and I want to show you where it all comes to fruition just in one brief shining moment. And let's turn in your Bibles now to 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to look at 30 through 47. Do you have it up? Let's go ahead and start. I'll wait for everybody to get there. For those of you unfamiliar with this verse, it's a very famous scripture. It's about David and Goliath. And uh, it is one of the fun things that I get to do. I, I lead trips to Israel, and we go to the place where David fought Goliath. No question, we got the site. Sometimes I'll tell people this is a B site. Tradition says this, but there's nothing else other than tradition to lead us to this conclusion. This one, we got it, no question. Why? Because the Philistine fortifications have been found on the mountain facing the valley, and the Israeli fortifications have been found for the time period of each on the opposite side of the mountain range. And so the Valley of Elah is well known to us and has been down through history. Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. He's talking about Saul. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and while he's been a warrior since his youth. Next. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took them from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth, and when he rose up against me, I seized it by the beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. All right, I'm going to stop here for a second. There's a lot going on in this verse and the verses actually that come before it. First, David's a little shepherd boy. 
his brothers are out at battle. And in fact, they're, they're just not really doing a great job. What is occurring? It's a funny scene, actually. What's occurring is the, the Israelites, they're, they're shouting the war cry. Now, what does this mean? It means that, in fact, they're bringing out the people who are going to be accompanying them, and they're leading them in worship songs. By the way, the worship songs are supposed to encourage us in our faith so that we can make that stretch of faith that we talked about last night. And I do want to say, what an awesome, you have a, just a, the worship, fantastic. Well done. Yes, yes, you should thank the Lord. Not every place has great worship, believe me. Yeah, and lots of places have great performance. Okay, there's a big difference. So anyway, Israel is on the mountain. Now, there's a reason they're not coming into the valley, and we're here, we're going to get into a little bit of the time and the technology. The, char the uh, Philistines had chariots. The Israelites didn't. So you just don't really want to go fight in the valley when they can run over you. And so the Israelites are staying safely on the mountaintop, saying, come bring your chariots up here, which, of course, means that the chariots aren't actually going to be able to do much. And so they're more than happy to say, come on up and get us. Well, what occurs is that David comes to bring some provisions for his brothers. Now, I want you to hear this because this is what happens when someone tries to inherit the promises and conquer for the kingdom. What are you doing here, you little insolent thing? You're so full of pride. Go back home. Don't disturb anything. If you begin to break the mold on what church is going to be, see where I'm going? You can be assured that the prophecy of Jeremiah will come true. You will receive persecution. Listen, I had people say, you know, look, that church you run, it's a cult. How do you know what it is? You're not even a Christian. <laughs> I mean, tell me, please explain it to me, what you think this is. <laughs> so, if in fact you're going to be a hero of faith, you're going to be the exception. Because everybody else wants to have a comfortable place of defense, which is exactly the way that our hearts are. Okay, let me say it again. Your heart wants to have a comfortable place of defense and is more than happy for the leftover giants to take your kingdom. So David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should dare to insult the armies of the living God? Now, you might say, well, what do you mean? I don't remember him saying that. So what was happening is Goliath would come out, and he's called a champion. And he would basically say to the Israelites, look, why don't you send someone out here to fight me, and we'll just have a one-on-one -on -one so, in fact, we don't all have to die, and whoever wins gets to be the conqueror of the other. Well, people are looking at Goliath, and he looks a little tall. And he looks kind of big. And the scriptures say that he's a leftover Anakin. An Anakin is a giant, someone that was thought to be head and shoulders. And in fact, the scriptures teach 
that the Israelites did not go into the land because there were Anakin in the land. And so the Anakin are the giants that were there in Israel. By the way, there's actually graves of giants in Israel. Yeah, kind of cool. Okay, they're giant graves. Uh, never mind. <laughs> so, it's a dead topic. <laughs> but it is a grave matter. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> so, Goliath is a leftover giant. And David hears it, and he hears it differently than the others. The people who are on the mountain are the same in their faith as the ones who are about to enter Israel. And it was Joshua and Caleb who said, we don't have to worry about the giants because God is with us. In other words, why do you have to worry about giants when you have a giant God? Isn't God more giant than the giants? I don't know. You tell me. Because the reality is every single person here in this room will face giants. But the worst kind of giant is a leftover giant. And so Goliath is the representation of all of the fears of Israel summarized in one man. And this man is the champion of giants. And he's coming to eat your lunch. He's coming to take your inheritance and to make sure you never get the promises of God, which in this case was the land itself. And the Philistines were on the march. They were moving in, taking more and more of the land that was promised to Israel. They had not rid themselves of the giants up to this point. The promises of God do not become fulfilled until such time as a little boy who has found faith in the wilderness defeating the bear and the lion is able to take on a giant because he has a giant God. If you notice our scripture says he said in the wilderness or I was able to knock out the lion and the bear and so this Philistine this uncircumcised Philistine would be just like one of them. In other words he learned the lessons of faith before it was time. And now he comes on the scene. He's not even looking for a battle. He comes on the scene, but he's not running away from one either. How about you? He wasn't looking for it, but he's not running away. And so he hears Goliath taunting the Israelites. And by the way, that taunting would mean that, in fact, he's disrespecting Israel's God. If your God's so tough, why don't you come on down? You believe in your God? Why are you, why are you hiding up there? we got gods too. Come on down. And he recognizes, David says, he's insulted the armies of the living God. It isn't just that he's insulting Israelites. He's insulting the armies of the living God. He's crossed the line here. And so David correctly says, hey, buddy, I think you're going a little too far. And so you know what? I'm going to tell you this God will show up. 
And it's time for you to believe that, in fact, in your giants, that God is a giant God, and he's able to take on no matter what the giant is in your life. But if, in fact, you have a leftover giant, that's the one that God wants to take down. He wants to take down the leftover giants because the leftover giants are the worst kind of giants because they'll never give up, and they won't stop. They'll keep going until you lose all of your inheritance. David is chastised for what his brothers believe is pride. It's not pride. It's faith. He's not saying, I'll do it. He's saying, God will do it through me. And so what often occurs when people break the mold is that, in fact, they're rebuked, they're chastised, they're called all sorts of things just simply because you're not doing it the way we're used to doing it. Well, I got news for you. If you read the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit doesn't just like to be cramped. Spirit blows to and fro. Where it goes, only the Lord knows. And so even Jesus, when he's being led by the Spirit, and you might even ask that question. This is pretty good to talk about. You know, in Luke 4, 1, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Have you ever wondered why would Jesus need to be led if he's God? I mean, can't, can't you sort of do it yourself? And the answer is, he's 100% human, 100% God, which means this, he purposely allows the Holy Spirit to lead him instead of just leading himself because you're not God and he's here to teach you how to do it, how to follow the Spirit. And so it isn't that he needs to. In fact, he says to Peter when he cuts off the high priest's ear, don't you know that, that I could call legions of angels? In other words, if I want to, I can make this place dust. All I have to do is sneeze and there's no more earth. But I don't want to. I've come to seek and save those who are lost. So what begins to occur is David sees what's going on here. He's, he's incensed. May I tell you that there is a holy incensing? And I'm not talking about something you burn. It should burn within you. And in fact, there's something in us that should, in fact, be up in arms when, in fact, you are not able to do what the Lord is calling you to and where the church is lacking or where the church is, has slowed down or where the church has stopped following the Holy Spirit, there should be a, an incensing, holy frustration. It isn't that we don't love everybody in the body of Christ, but there is a point where we have to say we cannot put new wine into old wineskins. We're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to go. And if it means that you miss lunch, oh well. For my food is to do the will of the Father. And right now, some of you are going, all right, you, you, you have crossed the line at this point. You have definitely crossed the line. But you know how this is going to work. Let's keep reading. Let's go to 38 if we would. Then Saul clothed David with his garment, put on a bronze helmet, clothed him with his armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk for it. He hadn't tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these old wineskins. 
for I have not tested them, and David took them off. And he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And many people have said that's because Goliath had five brothers. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield-bearer in front of him. Let's keep going, if we may. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he had disdain for him, for he was young and ruddy and with a handsome appearance. And the Philistine, that means Goliath must have been ugly. <laughs> the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So now we've got a spiritual battle going on too. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with these sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Again, we're hearing second time. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. So here's, my brothers and sisters in Christ, what I want to tell you today. You're just a stone's throw away from inheriting your kingdom. You're just a stone's throw away from inheriting the promises of God for this land, for this state, for what God wants to do. You're just a stone's throw away from being able to appropriate the promises of God that He's given to this church. And while it may be true that you had a ceiling last night, it's because God wants to take you higher. It's because He wants to do more. God is at war with the status quo, to quote a good friend, Dr. Mark Rutland. He doesn't want it to occur. And so I want to tell you, the Word of God is on a collision course with your experience so that you won't be left to it. And so the reason that we read the Word of God is because it broadens the parameters of our mind so that we can say, my golly, if God can do this in Israel, if God can do this in Judea, if God can do this with the apostles, if God can do this with the prophets, why can't He do it? Why can't He do it right here in this church through the power of God? Because it was never based on humanity or our humanness. It was just God. That's all it was. That's all it ever has been. And as long as you believe more in the giants than your giant God, then be happy with the status quo. But if you want to break out and you want to acquire the kingdom, inherit the promises, there's one way to do it. And then you go to fight for God and you break through this glass ceiling and you say, we want more of God. And what will begin to occur is that there is a promise in the Scripture. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If you think all of this power and the wonder of the Holy Spirit is just going to come without resistance, you are sadly mistaken. That's just simply not true. Because Satan will contest the ground that he has had just like Goliath came out and said, you're not moving any further. 
That's all there is. But what I want to tell you is you can't accept the status quo because if you do, what you don't realize is the giants will take the land that you presently have. It's not just that you're losing the future. You're going to lose the present. And so what the Lord wants to say to us today is there's more. And you may not realize it, but you're just a stone's throw away of inheriting the promise that God has for you. And if you believe that, if you dare to, there's no limit to what God can do. Do you think he'll contain it here? My golly, he'll blow those doors off so fast, it'll make your head spin. And I remember people in my church when the Lord began to move say these things. I don't want the church to get larger. I like it the way it is. <laughs> I understand that you like being able to know everybody's name. It's not your church. And it's not my church. It's God's church, and we do what he says. And if he wants to move, by golly, we let him. And I won't put on old armor that doesn't fit. I'm going to go out in the power of God, and I'm going to face my giants, and I'm going to take down those leftover giants that have remained, and you're going to be able to see that, in fact, God is faithful to his word, that he will do exactly as he said. And so I call you today. I call you today to dare to be a David, to dare to be that church through which the promises of God actually come true. Because the rest of Israel was content to stay on the mountain. But there was only one person who said, I'll go. I'll fight. And I'll win. And so believers in Christ, I know that in fact this is not easy ground. But it's worth it. And if in fact you'll believe that God can do anything, You'll see that God can do anything. Now, I'm going to close with this, and we're going to have you all come up. And for those of you who want to be used of God, we are going to pray for you, and we are going to pray that the Lord will begin to use you supernaturally. Now, I'm not discounting the natural. God bless you in every way that you can. But you are people of the Spirit. And we want the power of the Holy Spirit to be unleashed. If you have physical need for healing, we're going to pray for you today. We're going to pray for you today. We will absolutely pray for you today. Now, before you come, I want to show you how this works. So I was preaching in Mexico, and uh, our host told us, you're about to enter tomorrow the witchcraft capital of Mexico in the Yucatan. I thought, awesome. The people who were with me, and I had a lot of students with me, were a little concerned. And then the host told us something. I don't know if he was joking or not. I thought it was funny, but no one else did. That the last person who preached in this particular town, a bull chased him out of the pulpit. I thought it was a lot of bull. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Utterly ridiculous. I'm telling you this in hopes that I don't steer you wrong. 
But being the leader of the group, I thought it, it would be the right thing to do to allow everybody else to preach. So I, I went around, I, I said, would you like to preach? No. Would you like to preach? Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. How about you? No. No. Mm-mm. How about you? People full of faith. <laughs> Just people full of faith. And so I went around. No one wanted to preach. And there was like silence. And I went, I'll preach. And truthfully, I thought to myself, where the power of the enemy is, God will just show up more. And I'm like, this would be awesome. You know, I'm ready. And so I went out to preach in this village, and there were witch doctors that were in the crowd. And so one of the things that occurred is a man stood up, and he started mocking me. Now, I don't know the language, so I don't care. Say whatever you want. (laughs) I don't care. You know, you think I care? You know, just so anyway, I was preaching on the Passover. And I got to the point where I said this, and all who did not have the blood of the lamb over their house, the angel of death came to visit that house. And then I said, and so it will be with you. You know very well that there's power, there's dark power. And you know very well that it can take. Now let me stop again right here, right now. It's like, Say, you're a PhD and you believe this? Yeah, I give lectures on astrophysics, uh, the logic, things like that all the time. Do I believe in the supernatural? Yeah. Sure. And so what occurred is I began to preach how you could not be protected by the force of evil unless you have the blood of the Lamb. And then I said these words, you can't have the blood of the Lamb if you're going to worship two gods. You cannot go see the witch doctor and now come to church and expect God will heal you. You cannot be double-minded. Now, for us, I would say you cannot worship God and mammon. You must hate the one and love the other. By the way, just so you're clear, everybody knows, I would never, ever receive any dollars for when I am being asked to pray for healings. Because I never wanted to be confused. Not, not at all. Do I think that you ought to give to this ministry? Yes, I'm going to. I mean, granted, it's only $5, but you know. But I said this, I want you to come forward, and if you do, and you're serious, and you really give your heart to Jesus, he will take care of you. But don't come. Today, make a decision if you're going to go just to Jesus or to both. Do not come if you will visit the witch doctor this at all. People began to come forward, and a man brought his son who had a tumor on the side of his neck. And we reached out and touched that little boy. And the tumor disappeared completely. Now I know you're probably thinking, that probably, that probably didn't occur. So I teach ethics, and I can't really lie. <laughs> supposed to like tell the truth. And he grabbed his son and he put him up in the air for the entire village to see and he started screaming, my son is healed, my son is healed. 
Now you might say, how do you know you didn't know the language? I can pretty much read this, the body language there <laughs> as he was screaming, holding his son up in the air. The entire village came forward and collectively gave their hearts to Christ that night. This power that the Lord wants to give to you today, it is not just for you. It is for a lost and dying world that doesn't even know if there's a God. And for people who believe in God but just aren't sure where the Holy Spirit is. And so, my brothers and sisters, I call you to pray for your leadership because they are the Davids that are going into battle saying, I don't want that old armor. But then, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to go with them. And I want you to go into the battle because you really are just a stone's throw away from inheriting the kingdom that God has promised for you. Thanks so much. And may the Lord do as I have seen in the vision that he would blow the very doors off this place with his Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.